Welcome to episode 201 of CXO Talk. I'm Michael Krigsman, your host, our host. And CXO Talk brings together truly the most interesting, the most innovative, the most forward-thinking experts on technology in business for in-depth and really meaningful conversation. And today we have a really interesting show. We're going to be focused on Workday, which is one of the most well-known of the software as a service enterprise software vendors. And we have a truly all-star panel of industry analysts who are going to explore this topic for the next 45 minutes. And in no particular order to start introducing our panel, let's begin with Bill Kudik. Bill Kudik, how are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me, Michael. Uh, my interest in HCM is 27 years old when a short-lived magazine I ran had the first review of PeopleSoft 1.0. And for the 27 years since, I've written a column on the subject for a trade magazine, Human Resource Executive, started their now famous uh, show called the HR Technology Conference, which I ran until three years ago. And now I have a broadcast quality TV show called Firing Line with Bill Kudick that is never as up to the second as your CXO talk, Michael. Well, Brian, uh, Brian, Bill, your show Firing Line is just great. And what's the URL for that so people can find you? Well, they just go to YouTube and they search for Firing Line with Bill Kudick, uh, you know, the whole name, and they'll get it. Uh, I mean, I have a bit length, but that's the easiest way to get to get there. Fantastic. And our next guest, our next star industry analyst is Brian Summer. I've known Brian, as with all of these gentlemen, for, for years. And uh, Brian Summer, how are you? You're in a hotel room here in Boston, in fact. Yes, I am. And uh, uh, taking a break from another conference from another vendor who shall remain nameless. Uh, my short little quick bio bit, I'm an ERP analyst, and I think I'm the token finance guy on today's group, since I know Jason and Bill will uh, overwhelm us all, I'm sure, with HR kind of commentary. Been doing the gig for a number of years. Uh, I don't want to say how many decades, but a bunch. And I do a lot of client work, uh, folks, on things like software selections, uh, shared service projects, and the odd in uh, ERP litigation or antitrust deal. So that's my kind of story. And what Brian did not mention, because he is a pretty humble guy, is that in the world of enterprise software and finance, he is truly one of the top analysts and observers in the world. And that is absolutely the case. And last but not least is Jason Averbuck. And Jason, hi, welcome. Hey, Michael, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. So uh, really excited about the topic today, um, the, uh, the Workday uh, Human Capital Management and Financial Applications. Their entire platform is one that we see on fire across all of our customer base. Um, my background is I spent uh, 15 years in the vendor space between two different organizations, spent 10 years in the consulting space helping CHROs and CEOs and CFOs really think about platforms and think about applications. 
Uh, and now I'm about to launch my next, next venture, which is a new uh, enterprise consulting organization as well. So today, well, uh, I'm going to talk about human capital management and the whole workday space. Brian, I do have a dollar with me. Uh, so we'll see how many times I can bring up finance. So I do know something, do know something about finance and the fact I've got the dollar right here. Well, you've, you've sold a few more software companies than I have or consulting firms than I have. So I know you know something about money. Maybe just not as much about workday financials, but let's let's go at it a bit. Okay. Okay. So, workday. Why is let's let's begin with an overview. Why is workday important in the market? Why sh- why are we spending our time? Work workday has gone public. Their uh, revenue guidance is about one point six billion or so this year. Why is workday important in the market? Who wants to start? I'll start. Um, Workday is important in the market because it was the first true SaaS vendor in HCM. Uh, Little known to people outside, uh, we in fact had hosted applications in the late 90s, mostly recruiting applications from companies like Taleo and Brass Ring, which always drove me crazy when Mark Benioff proclaimed his software to be, you know, the the first hosted SaaS software. Not true. We had it for a while. But Workday was the first one to be really rigorous about it and caused their competition, uh, SAP SuccessFactors and Oracle, to line up behind them and and enter the cloud. I remember vividly, as I'm sure Brian does, hearing Larry talk about how the cloud sucks and uh, Oracle's never going there. And they're certainly there now. I also remember him, this is Brian, talking about how multi-tenancy was a bad idea. And uh, we can go on and on. As far as like their relevance in the marketplace, um, I, I would argue it was it, they were formed in 2005. And what was probably really interesting is, unlike so many of their competitors, they have the luxury of not worrying about bringing along an install base of customers who are on some very old, antiquated products and trying to help them step-by-step through death-by-a-thousand incremental marches and modernize their applications. That's really tough and expensive for customers to do, and it's also tough for a software company to do it because they've got so many other customers out there running on so many different versions. At Workday, because of multi-tenancy, Essentially, probably 99.9% of all their customers are running on the current release within probably 60 to 90 days of a new release coming out of the door. That's the value and the beauty of it. The other thing I think it's really important for people to realize is that Workday was actually built using uh, in-memory database technology. They have subsequently added additional capabilities for Hadoop and um, uh, they even use traditional database, relational database uh, storage mechanisms for uh, persistent storage. But this was a product that was designed for a much more modern era. It was not designed backward looking when technology was so constrained and uh, that there was no, um, uh, you know, y- y- you have this ability to process vast amounts of information in very different ways than what you had before with the old legacy products. Brian, how, how did God manage to uh, create the universe in seven days? It took, it took they started that in 2005. No, well, no it's a joke, Brian. It's I know, because I know. he had no installed base. 
Yeah. Yeah. Starting a clean sheet of paper is a luxury that uh, companies occasionally have, and it is pretty great. And Michael, Michael, if I can just get a word in, which I know will be hard for me, I'm going to be like the, uh, I'm gonna, I don't know which debate candidate I'll be like during this, but I think it'll be hard for me. Uh, so I'm going to need your, uh, your, your help with that. Um, the, uh, I think the biggest thing about Workday that's most relevant, and the technology stuff all aside, because the technology is really important, is Workday is the first organization, the first vendor that actually brought the work to the worker. Uh, we tried with little things like self-service. We tried with little things like pushing things out. But the cloud and the concept of the cloud where I didn't have to install software on devices, I didn't have to think about it, and I actually designed the software for the worker, not for the HR function, not for the finance function only, but for the worker. Work, work they said, and they had that realization, that the only way I'm going to get good data from an HR and finance standpoint, is if I design the applications from the worker in to the HR and finance function instead of the HR finance function out to the worker, to me, that's the hallmark of what Workday brought to us. We've all, the whole market has followed along in its own unique ways. But to me, that was one of the hallmarks of the Workday solution. But but Jason, uh, but Jason, Workday was not the first SaaS company. So so maybe put a finer point onto uh, what they did. Why? Well, I think what, I think yeah, so. I think what's really interesting, and it's a great great point. Thank you. Uh, Workday wasn't the first SaaS company, but Workday was the first SaaS company that actually designed their solution. Once again, like I said, for the worker not thinking about the HR department and the finance department first. So the first SaaS company took old software and put it online, put it online in the SaaS world, took old processes, put them online in the SaaS world. What Workday did is Workday actually reimagined those processes, put them online with the worker being the center of it, and then having HR and finance be there to consume that data and to use that data in a way that drives business decisions. Michael, if I could go back on one, you asked the history, uh, historical perspective on why this is important. I think anytime uh, Dave Duffield decides he's going to get into the software business, it sends some shockwaves, I guess, to the market from the, their competition. Because Dave, this is his fourth HR software company. He did Information Associates, then he did Integral, then he did PeopleSoft, then he does Workday. And um, it's actually a fifth, Brian, but not worth talking about. Okay. Uh, but the point being that uh, the guy's been always been successful with these things. And every time he did it, it would then cause a loss of market share or whatever from some of the other uh, established vendors of the market. And it was also interesting because when he would do these things, it was usually coincided with signal changes in the way the technology in this space is moving or altering. And, uh, you know, PeopleSoft was really made its hay during the client server age, uh, workday and the uh, cloud age and would go backwards and so forth. Uh, but, you know, I think, I, think uh, I don't want to under, I don't want to underappreciate the importance of what the original founding team behind uh, Workday did and that uh, it, it basically created a whole new kind of business, uh, even using some of the talent and brains that had successfully built some of the other companies before. And Brian, I mean, as someone that was there from a PeopleSoft standpoint, I think one of the things that Dave and Neil and that team did is they learned brilliantly 
from, I'm not going to call them the mistakes, but from the technology that they were dealt with at the time when we built PeopleSoft to where Workday is now and the technology that it has available, one of the, they haven't just taken it and said, hey, let's move it to the new technology. They've actually done, in my mind, a great job of learning from the mistakes, and those mistakes being, let's not customize everything so I can't upgrade it. Let's actually not build point-to-point interfaces, but let's truly think about integration in a unique and different way, and let's truly think about how do we design a solution that focuses, like I said, on the worker, not on the function. And I think if you think about those three things that, you know, Workday's done a great job of saying, what can we learn from where the ERP space was to now where the ERP space is today? And what that's done is it's brought the rest of the market up in a tremendous way. That whole Workday play has made us all better from a tech and consulting standpoint. Jason, I think you, you you were there at PeopleSoft and you're probably aware of the fact that PeopleSoft did commit the mistake you just described. They took basic functionality from Integral and slapped it into client server without really redesigning it or, or making it special or different because of the technology. This is not a mistake that Workday has made. Workday has really used the new capabilities of the, of the technology that it has to do what you've just described doing. Although I'm not sure they were doing that from day one. I mean, you're very eloquent as you were on, on, on firing line with Bill Kudek about this issue of the work of the work being brought to the workers. Was that true at Workday early, early on? I mean, it's certainly true now. And they I, believe, I believe it was a core design principle. I think that people right. saw that employee and manager self-service wasn't going to work the way it was being pushed out. It, the adoption wasn't there. We have to think about experience the experience of the worker at the core. And I think that's just a different design principle that was from day one at Workday and, and, and still holds true today. And like I said, you know, not just to talk about Workday, but now the rest of the industry has followed along. So I, you know, I, I give them credit for truly ushering that in uh, to the enterprise space. I, I wouldn't deny them that credit either, but I, I, would, I would point out to Brian, which he already knows, but to the audience, that though Dave started it, and, and Dave is the first one to tell you that he's a technologist and he's not a functional person, and that new technology is what gets him excited, which is what happened to PeopleSoft and what happened at Workday, he's pretty much been, been not terribly involved in the company for a good five years. And while he was once co-CEO with the Neil Bushreed, he's no longer that. And I don't, I'm not sure, is he still chairman of the board? Uh, but but it is Anil's company now, right? But guys, let me ask you uh, a question. So so you were talking about placing the customer at the center of the world, and I'm really interested in the the corporate uh, cultural dimensions of that. Why didn't earlier software companies take that step? And is it a function of technology? Is it a function of the corporate culture? So, so maybe just uh, your thoughts on that point, please. I don't know why other companies didn't do it, but Workday truly does have a unique culture similar to the PeopleSoft culture, which Dave will say puts employees first. Every other company will talk about how customers are first. Workday says we put employees first because if employees are happy, they will make our customers happy. 
And the fact is, at the last rising, Anil announced that they've got a 98% customer SAT rating done by some outside agency. And, and I'm um, sorry, I'm sorry, that's Anil, for people who don't know. Uh, Anil Bushri, a, the current CEO of Workday. The current CEO, but, yes. But they've got a 98% customer SAT. And I would challenge any software company in the world to, to meet that. I mean, it, you know, software, particularly enterprise software, is usually something you're pissed off about. Not something that you're really happy happy with, yeah, and, me, and so I think that, that that comes from the culture and other things. Yeah, let me pile on a little there. Um, customer satisfaction or net promoter sp- scores in the ERP space are notoriously terrible, and they're terrible because either uh, the products were a whole lot more expensive and more difficult to implement than anybody actually uh, believed coming in. Or more importantly, the vendors have such a notorious culture for going after their own customers, doing what uh, uh, an attorney friend of mine calls uh, shale fracking. They try to go in there and break up the wallet of the customer and get every little drop of money they can out of them. Uh, you've got a lot of Workday's customers who've been exposed to uh, relentless numbers of software audits uh, in the past by some of the older vendors, and they hate those vendors for that reason. Uh, they don't like them during the depths of the recession in 2008, 2009, 2010, when companies may have lost half or two-thirds of their revenue and or their employees, and they still couldn't get a break from the old established vendors on increases in maintenance costs and everything else. There's a reason why the customer SAT scores are so low in the competition. Workday, because of its the way it, uh, subscription-based technologies are priced, it's based on the consumption. Now, yes, they do have some long-term contracts they've cut with some customers and so forth, uh, as long as they don't get greedy, they probably have a really good chance of keeping a very happy, satisfied customer. And related to that, they continue to keep pumping out releases at a relentless pace, even though they, they, they now bundle them down to like three good ones every year. Uh, the fact that people get a lot of new functionality very frequently and that the vendor is maintaining that uh, version of the code for them instead of their IT department You've got customers who are very happy because they never have to wait on their own internal IT department to actually implement all this backed-up technical debt. So it's great. you know. Michael, Michael, if I could, I mean, I think the thing that's really important here, and Workday was one of the first, and you've seen, multi, you've seen vendors follow along with this. In the SaaS space, what I have to do is I have to drive customer satisfaction, and not customer satisfaction at the level where, hey, I'm mediocre, I'm okay with the software. I have to drive customer satisfaction in a customer love kind of way. I love is a soft, touchy word for your show that may not be used a lot. But in this case, I have to get my customers to love me. Dave Duffield, Anil Bushri, and, well, Bill says Dave isn't involved for the last five years. Dave still lives and breathes in many of the people that every single day wake up to make their customers love them. You're absolutely right. You go to rising... And you feel like, um, you know, you're at a hippie love-in. And by the way, the other, the, a lot of other vendors in the space have gotten a lot better at this. So I don't think this is a, I mean, Workday has been always great at this. As a former people software, I felt this same way. But now we're starting to see the other vendors learn from it that in a SaaS world, I don't drop off the software and leave. 
Right. In a SaaS world, I have to make sure that I'm keeping the customer happy. And if I'm not keeping the customer happy with in lots of different ways, that customer is going to fall back to mediocre. And there are too many choices in the market today. Okay, but and guys, wait, 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 like an outsourcer. wait, wait a second. Hold on. Hold on. I'm going to as the moderator, I'm going to take my privilege and, and jump in here. Um, so. So, yeah, Workday is great, but. Has was Workday built by God? I mean, you guys, it's like nothing in life is perfect that I've seen. So, what are the challenges? Oh, that, no, Michael, that and if I could start, I mean, I, so I mean, one of the I, this was turning into a little bit of a Workday love fest, which is not good for anyone because well, Workday has done a lot of these things. You know, anytime you're rolling out enterprise tools, I always say it's like an organ transplant. You're basically taking out an organ and putting in a new organ. You're doing a heart transplant. And if you think about all the different things that are connected to the heart, it's crazy. I mean, it's absolutely crazy. So when we think about Workday, what Workday is, you have to think about Workday as a core solution for HR and finance that serves as a master data tool. Now, it has so many other things that it touches that where Workday itself doesn't fall down, but where it falls down in the customer's eyes is when a customer starts to implement it without a given strategy, without the skills to sustain it, without the concept of being able to run and optimize it and innovate it consistently. And when we have systems integrators that jam it in to go live in X period of time without thinking about what the bigger, longer outputs are, that gives Workday a black eye. And I, I always say this to, to my clients, that the easiest person to blame in all this stuff is the vendor. Why? Because they're not sitting at the table. They don't have feelings. So there's lots of things that Workday needs to do to make sure that its ecosystem gets stronger. There's lots of things that Workday needs to do to make sure that customers adopt more. But, but I mean, I think that that's something that every single SaaS provider needs to do. So no, Workday is not perfect. No, their capabilities aren't as strong. Let's say global payroll is not as strong as X and Y and Z. You have to think about, is it the right fit for your organization? Uh, but, but that's something you have to do with every enterprise tool, every heart transplant you're doing today. Michael, I'll tell you something else that's wrong. And it's so oddly a repeat of a bad development at PeopleSoft. There was a moment at PeopleSoft when the salesman got so arrogant that when a selection committee cut them out, they would go over the committee's head and say, hey, your committee doesn't know what they're doing. I'm PeopleSoft. They just got rid of me. Well, at Workday now, there, there's, there's the feeling afoot that everything we do there is perfect and everything we do there is first and nobody else is doing it. And nobody else could possibly compete with us. And I fear for them that that may lead to a similar kind of arrogance, which, you know, there's a lot of strong DNA passed from PeopleSoft to Workday. Incredibly strong, not to mention the number of people there who've worked at PeopleSoft. And, you know, they should be on their guard against, against the bad things that, you know, they know happened. That is always a risk for, for success, um, for anybody that for anybody that is successful, Workday emphasizes its platform. It's not the only software company to do that, but it really presents the platform in a in a central way. So, what is the importance of platform? Why is it important to Workday? Why do why does this matter to customers? 
I'll weigh in on this. On uh, the platform, theirs is an interesting one uh, in that it predominantly uses a number of open source technologies, which gives them an incredible cost advantage over competitors. Uh, they don't. Uh, they can scale and add customer after customer after customer, and they owe no additional fees to some third-party system software company. So that's a good thing. Number two is their platform only really has to support one technology stack and one set of code. Uh, many of their competitors have multiple different product lines that they're supporting. In some cases, uh, one vendor has promised to support uh, old applications on old platforms uh, into perpetuity. Uh, that just adds cost to the vendor, costs that have to get eventually passed down to the consumer or the customer or the, whatever you want to call it, the vendor. They don't have that. They've got one stack, one set of technologies, and they architected this stuff to run, again, predominantly in memory. Uh, so they've now added all these additional extensions so that the product line can support other types of data, not just structured, uh, highly ordered database kind of uh, transaction information. With that, uh, there's been a big push from customers uh, and integrators. They've wanted Workday to open up that platform for years so that third parties could start building extensions or whole new, you know, surround sound kind of applications around the Workday suite. And based on what we heard at Rising a couple of weeks ago, it looks like they're finally coming around to opening up the platform for third parties, which will usher in, I think, a really interesting new, you know, generation of um, new additional add-ons that will drive sales for the company even further. The other thing that's impressive is... Um with their object-oriented programming and makes them very nimble in creating new applications is, for instance, they just created a video function to be used in learning. Um, you know, the five-minute video is considered the sine qua non right now of learning objects. And then they immediately said, well, you know, after we use it in learning, we're going to go and put it in recruiting. And I haven't seen other vendors to be that nimble when they create new functionality. Uh, and Workday does that all the time with reusable pieces. Hey, Michael, can I just add one thing real quick on the platform? Real, 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 real quick. Um, the, the, the concept to me of platform really ties into the fact that the worlds of HR, finance, and IT have shifted. And what the platform allows is it allows for that shift to happen. So in my old world of applications, and this is happening across the board, where 10% of the deployment responsibility was from the function, 90% was from IT. What the platform to me has done is it's allowed 70 to 80% of the responsibility to go to the function. The people that are truly establishing business rules, the people that need that agility, and then 10 to 20% tying back into IT being able to support it. It allows HR finance to have much more control over how its processes and tools work and allows IT to be much more strategic in how it supports the enterprise. I think that right there is the holy grail of the platform. And we have a question from Twitter, and this is actually from the at CXO Talk account, which is being manned by my colleague Elizabeth Shaw. And Elizabeth is asking, uh, is, what is the, the role of technology in driving or supporting workforce stability and improving the workforce. 
And aren't there other factors that are really more important than technology? So the relation between technology, in, in other words, why should we really even care about all of this? So, Michael, if I can just jump in real quick, 90% of a deployment of a solution has nothing to do with technology. It has to do with process. It has to do with change. It has to do with culture. It has to do with marketing. It has to do with what my processes around HR and finance stand for. But at the end of the day, the way to get stuff done is through the technology. The way I touch the people is through the technology. So complete. her, her comment is so spot on. You have to have that process and people aspect of everything you do, to, and you have to have that formed up front. And the technology is this that is just there to support that and deploy that. So it's totally important. It's totally important to create that experience that you're trying to create from a people and process standpoint. But no, the technology does not create that. Yeah, but what will happen in with all this new technology, just looking, putting the microscope on the HR function alone, if you look at what all is in the, the stack that um, Workday has with um, uh, all their in-memory and other capabilities, they have the ability to incorporate huge amounts of outside non-transactional data. And they... They have a technology stack that could be exploited by HR groups that have more skills than just filling job slots that the recruiting function you know, is responsible for. If they have more data scientists, they can do more algorithms, more analytic tools. They can do a better job of identifying and courting talent that they want to bring into the company. And, uh, and in fact, they'll be managing things uh, that, that require knowledge of algorithms, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and on and on and on. I'm not, you know, the point of this is not to do a recitation of three-letter acronyms, but it's to point out that the HR function, the people within HR, are fundamentally going to be changed. Either they're going to have to acquire new skills themselves or they're going to have to bring different kinds of people into HR to use some of these new technologies. And if you only look at products like Workday or any of the newer uh, solutions in the HCM space or finance space, finance is actually even more intriguing in that regard, you tend to lose sight of the fact that uh, it's we're not here to automate just the old accounting transactions anymore. For example, we're actually here to like stop major fraud in a company. And the way you do that is by analyzing a whole bunch of other data that never made it into a general ledger in the first place. And that's where the future is going to go. And that's the interesting people impact of these new technologies is around the new uses of the new capabilities that these newer platforms can deliver. And what about the fact that you have, so Workday has got uh, HCM, it has financials, it now has uh, learning <coughs> as well, and Workday student. But l focusing particularly on HCM and financials for the moment, what are, what are the advantages of having them integrated into a single platform? Well, the, 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 the newest uh, application from Workday is called Simply Planning. And it, for the first time for them, incorporates elements of HCM and finance into one application. And it makes sort of perfect sense. I mean, how can you be putting, you know, deciding to hire X number of people without knowing the financial repercussions of that? Uh, how can you know whether or not, in fact, you can afford to hire Y number of people 
without having the finance behind that. The fact is that HCM Finance have been sold as a bundle since mainframe days. I mean, for the last 40 years, and that continued during client-server. And then there was a pause, a little pause during uh, the cloud because HCM got to the cloud first and finance didn't, didn't get there for another three or four or five years. But that, those two have now been rejoined in the cloud and Oracle is certainly selling them together and Workday is working very hard to sell them together. SAP SuccessFactors uh, has the, some problems of complexity with its SAP install base, but it now has a multi-tenant version of finance that, that it's selling with its cloud HCM. So it, it's, it's sort of the most natural order of things in back office software for the last 40 years. Yeah, and Michael, I think what's really important about this topic is, is we, we're, we're on to the next generation of what this means. So before, in the ERP space, this meant interfacing data from solutions to solutions. Or maybe if we're really sexy, integrating data from solutions to solutions. Inter- I, like, I like that. Interfacing versus integrating. I won't even ask what that what that actually means, and I'm sorry. Well, no, it's, Michael, it's an old mainframe distinction. No, but Michael, hold on. I mean, we live in a world today where employees don't work in modules. The workforce doesn't work in modules. The workforce works in processes. And the only way to integrate processes together truly is if they're in a single platform. We can interface data all day long, but to integrate processes to create a seamless experience, that is hard, hard stuff. And something that people shouldn't discount, whether it's Workday or any of these tools, when they think about platforms, why should things be in one platform? An integrated experience is key. I, I think, you, you know, okay, but I think my learned colleagues here are, um, they're maybe giving you the quick textbook or elementary school version of the problem. I well, think that's the, all we can speak, Brian, compared yeah. to you. You, and you've I, been and doing I know, it for 34 years, Brian. Tell us the revealed truth. You're the one that's in the tie, my friend. You're the one that's in the tie. Yeah. And, but yeah. he's not wearing a jacket. And Brian, uh, you're, you should not let your learned colleagues fall back on jargon and intellectual cliches. And you should no, never what, let that what, stand. What's really going on here, guys, is uh, uh, businesses today should never be buying a bunch of little best-of-breed stuff in the finance and HR area unless it's for some peripheral uh, small add-on piece, and here's why. Moving forward, what businesses want out of a tool set is they want a single place to find operational, financial, human capital, as well as big data and a whole bunch of other external stuff. Unfortunately, in a lot of companies, they've got 20 or 30 years of experience building what I would, uh, if I could use the British term, a dog's breakfast of lightly, loosely integrated, spreadsheet-ridden junk. Okay, wait, wait, hold on. I just need to repeat that back to make sure that we got that. And I quote, a dog's breakfast of spreadsheet-ridden junk. Right. And so you've got... You've got latent piles or islands of data, stuff that's being pumped into spreadsheets, manipulated, and then repumped back into something else. And that's in the existing finance and HR world. And then when they try and go out and shop for new software, God help them if they recreate that same loosely interfaced uh, kind of world together 
when what they really need is they need to get as much integration as they possibly can from a core provider of all the ERP stuff they can get because they're going to have to now connect those te uh, technologies to weather data, to geopositional data, to smart te uh, phone data, and to a million cloud solutions that are powering their employees' mobile devices, among other things. So there's social sentiment data. I can show you guys line by line on a P&L just about how to do use big data to do a better job of planning and forecasting and doing your budget than what companies do today, which is rely on like, well, let's take last year's number, add 6% to it and tweak it a little bit. That's terrible. Uh, so we need to get rid, we need to get out of this thinking about having a bunch of disconnected finance and HR kind of products. Yeah, go buy all that you can from a single vendor because your world is going to get changed by all the other sources of data you're going to need to integrate in with. And Brian, what's the opposite of a dog's breakfast? Nirvana. Okay, so in this world of Nirvana that Brian speaks of, the future is all about, and Brian and I, you and I tweeted about this a little bit yesterday, is all about using these AI tools, these bots, and in order to use these tools, and once again, not to say that HR is turning into AI or bots, but what's really important is that these tools rely on data. And that what Brian's saying is that if we're going to use some of these sexy new tools, some of these shiny objects, or like I said on the on Qtix show, you know, frosting on top of a cake, I have to have data in a single place so those tools can consume it. And I think that's what we're going to see more and more as people look at a, a platform like a Workday or another one of these SaaS tools as a way to make sure their data is right so they can take this to the next level of servicing the workforce. So, so Bill, we've got less than 10 minutes left. And what advice do you, do, do you have for people in the enterprise who are looking at these products, who are looking at Workday, looking at others, who are being told on the one hand by some vendors, best of breed is the only thing that is going to save you. And other vendors like, like Workday and, and there are others saying, the platform is the only thing that is going to save you. What should we do? Well, it's not as crucial a question as you might think, Michael, because Workday has 100% mindshare in HCM. And any large company that thinks it's time for a change, Workday is on their list. In finance, things are slightly different. Um, hey, Bill. Bill, I don't mean to interrupt you, but wouldn't you say SAP and Oracle are also on the list? Oh, yeah, of course SAP and Oracle are on the list. Uh, and, and, you know, they will be considered. Uh, but I think Workday just gets on there first simply because it's sexier, it's newer, it's, it's made a bigger splash. They're but all platforms, I, though. I, I, would, I would include that. I think the big problem in finance, and Brian will back this up, I'm sure, is that the finance guys have had the budget for years, so they got no pain points with their software because they've been getting exactly what they want because they've had the money to pay for it. And I understand, Brian could probably tell me. Well, they're, they're, they're also completely risk-averse. I mean, finance... You know, exactly. talk, talk to a payroll person and ask, hey, would you like to change over payroll systems? No way. Uh, and I understand also that they're still not sold on the cloud being the next generation of computing. Brian, how are they? 
Well, it's funny you bring that up, Bill, because uh, in some of the selection work I've done lately, I had a, um, I run into a lot of aging boomers who are about to retire, and they're CFOs and controllers. And one of them sat me down the other day and said uh, that he wants to retire, but he will not retire until uh, the finance technologies have been modernized. And in his view, that he he would, had not been a good steward of the company because or the finance function because they actually have more spreadsheets, more old junk and everything else than they had when he got the job. And he needed to change that. Their company, in fact, had failed to complete two uh, big acquisitions in that last year because their old technology, while it felt like a comfortable, broken pair of shoes, just wasn't up to the task of like twice the volume of transactions they would have going forward. So I think there are a lot of there's a lot of introspective work going on with a lot of aging out boomers who are looking at uh, their finance operations and asking themselves, have I done been a good steward of the company? And if they haven't, they're going to be looking at new technology because they can't continue the way they are with the stuff that, that may have gotten them through the recession but isn't going to get them any further going forward. Jason, your, your advice for people who are looking at, at the enterprise, looking your advice for the enterprise buyers, what should they do? How should they make yes. sense of all of this? You know, Michael, I think that what's really important is that organizations look at right fit <laughs> versus feature function. I think we spend way too much time on feature function. I think we spend way too much time on RFPs. I think we spend way too much time on saying, is this vendor ready? Is this vendor? Is this vendor ready? I think if we look at the top three vendors in the space, they're all ready and they can all do this. I think what's most important is how am I – I'm I'm – basically renting someone to move into my house. That's a weird way to say it, but I'm renting someone to move into my house. And as I do so, I need to know how are they going to, how is it going to be like, what's it going to be like to live with them? Do I have the ability to sustain them? Do I have the staff to sustain them? Uh, every vendor talks about analytics. Do I have anyone that even knows what an analytic is and how to read it? You know, do I, have, <laughs> I mean, there's so many different things to me that tie into the solution other than feature function. And to me, it's fit. Do I have an IT staff that can support what I'm trying to do? Do I want the HR and finance staff to do more configuration than the IT staff? Uh, all of those things are important. And then we haven't even talked about price and total cost of ownership, and we're not going to have time to get there. But that's another component is where am I coming from? Where am I going? How am I going to think about TCO? Because each one of the big three are completely different from a TCO standpoint. The last thing I'm going to say, Michael, about best of breed is I don't think you rule out best of breed completely. I think that there are there are, there is a space for best of breed, and I think you have to look at best of breed and say, if best of breed drives a competitive edge or a competitive advantage for me that I can't get today, I can't get today from my platform. I'm going to put it in place until I get the platform to where I need it. So there is not, you don't say no best of breed. You say when best of breed and how long am I going to use best of breed? And I always call that a bridge to somewhere, which is where am I going in the future? Bill Kudick, thoughts on the bridge to the future for, for buyers? Well, I'm, I'm not as sanguine about best of breed as, as Jason is because the, the fact is that 
any any small benefit best of breed may give you is going to be copied by the integrated guys in a reasonably short period of time. But what if I need it today? If you need it today, then if you can rent it for six months, sure. If, uh, if, if I'm going through a, a talent crisis, do I say, oh, sorry, I have to wait for my vendor? Right. Or, or is it, do, I, do I want to take care of that talent crisis? <laughs> no, obviously you get it today. But how many best of breed vendors are there left out there that really do it significantly better than the guys who are offering sweets? There aren't that many. I mean, I was recently at... Touche, Bill. Touche, Bill. Yeah. Sorry? I said touche for you. That's right. I was recently at a recruiting recruiting vendors analyst day, and they had uh, one of their customers there talking who happened to be a Workday customer. And she said, oh, it was clear to me that they didn't care about learning. And then she said, it was clear to me that they didn't care about recruiting. And I wanted to grab her by the shoulders and shake her and say, you know, you got to do something last. And just because they did recruiting and learning last doesn't mean that they don't care about it. Bill, and, these are, na- these are na- I mean, Brian, I want to ta- hear Brian talk about this also, but these are names of modules. You're talking about recruiting and learning as a name of a module. Sure. You're talking about deep capability. And am I really being developing the stuff today that recruiting and learning needs? These people will get there. They'll all get there. But today... Is it what they need? Brian, in the finance space, like expenses, huge area. I mean, procurement, huge area that I, I, Matt, I don't know. I mean, where do you tell Brian that people say, hey, go with uh, best of breed versus platform? The, the counsel to those companies is always try and get as much as you can from the core vendor. And then you'll have to probably round out for uh, some of the other stuff with some best of breed. And that's no different than what we've probably, you know, espoused for strategy for years. And uh, someone was making the point, it probably was Bill, that, uh, you know, when people people buy software as kind of a discrete point in time event, it may come up every 10 years or so. And they can only choose what is available at that point in time. If it happens to be that a software vendor is in the middle of remodeling or retooling its product line, well, that vendor may not get the business during that changeover. It is what it is. It's a point-in-time decision. So, uh, so guys, we are just about out of time. Would you like to each take 10 seconds and just add your final, final thought? Uh, Bill, you want to start with you? Literally just... just sure. A, uh, a tweet, I'm never again talking to my good friend Jason Averbuck. After what he said. Wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Michael, I think that, I mean, I think that because this topic was Workday, I think Workday has changed the enterprise software space forever. I think there were a lot of doubters at first. I think it's changed the space and it's made the whole space better as far as how it's working with customers. All right. And Brian, you're going to get the tippy, tippy, tippy last word. I think the fun thing to watch in the next uh, few weeks, months, and years to come will be the changes around the ecosystem around Workday. And we should expect to see uh, a whole new list of characters who will come in to help customers uh, implement this stuff, given that so many of the initial ones have already been acquired. So I think we're going to see something cool happen there as well. Fantastic. What a great show. You have been watching episode number 201 
of CXO Talk. And our focus has been an industry analyst perspective on the software company Workday. We've been speaking with three, and, and this, is, this is literally true, three of the top, most well-respected industry analysts covering Workday, covering this field in the world. We've been talking with Bill Kudyk. We have been talking with Brian Summer. And we have been speaking with Jason Averbuck. Gentlemen, I just want to say a hearty thank you. Thank you all for taking the time. Thank you for having us, Michael. Take care, guys. And with that, our episode is done. Tune in tomorrow when we will be speaking with Oliver Bussman, who is the former head CIO for the huge UBS bank and now is a major expert in fintech and blockchain and new technologies relating to financial services. And so that is tomorrow at 1 o'clock Eastern Time for episode 202. Thanks so much, everybody. And especially I want to thank Livestream because Livestream provides our video infrastructure. And man, those guys are great. And so if you need anything to do with live streaming video to conferences or internally, you should talk to Livestream. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.